Well, it feels a little bit like homecoming and uh, truly a divine appointment to be here uh, when Brother Barber called a few weeks ago uh, and had heard about some of our um, initiative. It was a blessing to sense that God's hand was in this moment together. Uh, and uh, it's really a day to focus in on the mission, but also realize the world in which we live and allow God to break our heart open in a special way to his will at work in our world. Uh, it's a special time to be God's people on planet Earth. It's a really special time and a really important time. And I pray that today we'll stir our hearts with what God wants uh, to, uh, to do uh, through us. And I want to just share with you about, um, let's see, are we up and running here? Let's get this, okay. Uh, the uh, God is, uh, you've met my family here, and uh, it's a privilege. Um, we, years ago, some of you maybe know, good to see you, Lloyd, back there. <laughs> uh, and uh, correct name, right? I got it right. Yes, okay, all right, good. Me and names are uh, disparate, for sure. Um, and uh, uh, God just gave us the burden to dedicate our family to world missions. And uh, that is part of the background for why we're here and the opportunity that God's given us in Papua New Guinea. And, um, okay, good. So let's take a trip uh, to Papua New Guinea here uh, this morning and, uh, and just see a bit of what God's doing. Papua New Guinea is a beautiful country. It's surrounded by the Pacific, and we're going to go, by God's grace, we're going to live on Mushu Island for a period of months, and you're actually looking at that island out on that beautiful uh, Pacific Ocean. I actually took that picture. It was a gorgeous morning, um, and it's also a land of mountains, and, uh, and just uh, trekking the, the trails, and uh, I walked into that particular uh, village and preached the gospel there a couple years ago. And uh, Papua New Guinea is located just north of Australia and just east of Indonesia. And uh, the, uh, this, this, what has happened in Papua New Guinea back in World War II, uh, the Japanese obviously were taking over that whole region of the Pacific, moving south, and they actually took over this island, Papua. And uh, obviously the British and American uh, were endeavoring to stop them and then take back that land. So on the north side of the island, there were some American and British bases, and then on the south side. And what would happen is our American servicemen and their planes would fly from the, south, from the north to the south and back and forth. And as they flew over the center of the island, this is what they saw. Um, they saw people living up in these mountains, uh, living in these round thatched roof uh, dwellings, and some of them were believers. And some of them said, when this war is over and we get out of service, we're coming back to bring the gospel to people we've just discovered. And that's exactly what they did. Um, in the 50s and in the 60s, some of the most amazing breakthroughs, spiritual breakthroughs occurred up in those mountains. And here's one of them. A man named uh, Dave, uh, uh, David Scovel uh, went, uh, went back there. Some of you may know of uh, Don Scovel. Uh, trumpet player and uh, musician down at Ambassador. Well, his brother Dave became a missionary to the unreached region of this area. And here is a gathering of, of literally thousands of people gathering to hear the gospel. On one particular day, about 4,000 people brought their, their fetishes, their spirit worship items, and they burnt them in a day. And this is actually what happened the very moment of that. 
And those men became evangelists. They went and they preached to their own people, to the nearby peoples. Uh, at one point, uh, Brother Scoville had like a couple hundred men who were coming together on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. He would teach them the Word of God. On Friday, they'd go back to their separate villages. On Saturday, Sunday, they would teach it to their own people. Come back on Monday, he'd teach them Tuesday, Wednesday. He was literally planting 200 churches at once. Um, and that's what was happening. That's what God had prepared. The ultimate end of all that was when Brother Scoville completed the entire Bible in the Donnie Bible translation, and they presented it uh, to the people. Um, and, and literally, the Great Commission was completed in that people group. Amen? That's it. And that is, the great, that is our goal. Now, um, God's enabled me to take several trips over to Papua New Guinea, um, most recently in March, I was there uh, for uh, close to a month and I was with Brother Callistus. Um, my wife and I, my wife's been with me in uh, November of 2019. Uh, she's actually standing next to his wife and uh, able to be just receive uh, just a really a warm welcome there as uh, we uh, ate uh, fresh fish is, is the highlight of Papua New Guinea, that's for sure. I think there's even shark on that, on that plate, I think. Um, and uh, just uh, a warm welcome. Well, God has given us a connection to a region that is lesser reached uh, in Papua New Guinea, up on the north side. And I want to just show you a short video out of the time that Brother Callistus and I had just recently as we researched this region. There's a lot of work that's been done in Papua New Guinea. In fact, one of you all were mentioning wherever I go, I, I encounter someone who says, I know someone who worked over here in, in Papua New Guinea. And Papua New Guinea is an amazing land of just so many, 885 different languages and, lang and people groups, and they're often isolated from one another by these incredible mountain ranges, and so a missionary can work among one people for a lifetime and literally almost never get to the next valley. Uh, I spoke with one lady who, when I was over there who said, you know, we're consumed with what's happening in our valley, and the people from the next come and say, when are you coming here, and we don't have the ability to get there. And so there's these, op these, there's these needs, these opportunities, still regions unreached. But the neat thing is, this is a preacher's gathering in which I spoke uh, back in uh, 2019. And this, this is the fruit of missionary labor that's already present in the land. Men trained, men ready to go. And we believe we have a vision to cast before them that will, uh, you know, will speed up, expedite the completion of the Great Commission. Here's another group of of uh, believers and leaders. And uh, of course, Brother uh, Callistus, Pastor Jason is right near where we're going to be. Um, uh, here's a church uh, down in Port Moresby, uh, Shalom Baptist Church. And here's an entire gathering of people really that have a vision for their own nation. In fact, as I spoke, uh, this man here standing next to me um, in, the, uh, in the red came up to me afterwards and he said, you preached my message. And I said, oh, what, what was that? And he said, and I had preached about how that God wants every ordinary believer to be involved in reaching into his own network um, and literally gathering believers and even planting churches, that church planting is not the work of just a special uh, ordained believer, but the, church, the, the work of every ordinary believer as they go and they, plant, and they preach the gospel. And this man was in that church and he said, just several weeks ago, I planted a church in my home village. 
He said, I was there, I knelt with my son and my wife, and I knelt in the center market, and I said, God, give me my village. And he said, God did. And that church was just ready. They've got that kind of a vision. In fact, the pastor wasn't there because he was off in another region planting churches um, in, in that area. So, um, and these two men are from the church, and they're actually going down to Australia um, as missionaries there. Um, so up in these village, up in these mountain regions, um, they're encountering people who've never heard before. And here is one man. This is an old, blind, Papua New Guinea man giving his personal testimony. And I, I think this is one of the most beautiful things I've ever heard. You think that old blind man has seen the glory of the gospel? I'll tell you what. When they say that Satan is nothing, spirits are as real to them as your next door neighbor in Papua New Guinea. They see spirits. They live in the realm of spirits. And for them to know Satan has become nothing, that's the power of the gospel. To remove the fear of, you know, Satan holds people a lifetime in fear and bondage. And that's been broken by the gospel. Um, now, the unique opportunity in Papua New Guinea right now is that over the last four or five years, they've actually had, um, the government has actually asked for the distribution of Bibles in every elementary, primary, secondary school and university across their nation. Um, and it's a remarkable open door. Um, here is one of those moments. In the parliament of Papua New Guinea, right here is their assembly, their, their national assembly hall, and at the center of it, there's a glass case. And you zoom up on that glass case, and what's inside of that? It's a book. In fact, it's one of the oldest extant copies of the King James Version. And it was actually obtained for Papua New Guinea by Mike Pence when he was governor of Indiana. And they absolutely love him down there. And especially when he was vice president, you know, they just love Mike Pence. But they put a proclamation out saying from the government that the Bible is the only book that has the power to change the morals of our nation. And they asked for the distribution of the Bible across their schools. Um, and you can teach the word of God in their schools. So um, what, I think Papua New Guinea may be more of a Christian nation than America. Um, and when they're asking for the word of God to be distributed like that, that can't be the end of the open door, Right? That can't be the end. That has to be the beginning. Um, and so the, here's, you know, here's an assembly of hundreds of students, and the Bibles are in those boxes, and they're giving away free to every student. Um, and, uh, and with joy, the, the school principals are rejoicing. So what uh, we're going to do is we're going to go, and we're going to stay with Brother Callistus on his island in the East Sepik province, just a beautiful place. And uh, eight of my... Uh, all the children that are with me here are planning on going with us here the end of December. Uh, my second, my oldest son, Mark Jr., who actually traveled with Brother uh, Pastor Barber years ago on one of the uh, youth uh, summer teams, and uh, he and his wife, they're going to be coming and joining us um, in June um, and leading a team over for a, uh, a, youth, um, a, a youth summit along with Sepik uh, River Outreach. And our plan is to leave December 25 or December 27th and go and stay for six months, uh, a couple months on the island. They're actually building a house for us 
Um, and uh, then we might have to leave the country in the middle because of visa issues. Uh, we're praying that God does a miracle and gives us a six-month visa and then survey up the Sepik River in a college missions trip in, uh, in, um, uh, in June then, as I mentioned. Uh, let me just mention to you a little bit about missions. Um, let me uh, show you this here. I believe that God has a heart that looks on the world regionally. Um, when you think of the Great Commission, well, when you look at Jesus' example in Matthew 9, it says that he went about all the cities and villages. Um, when we look at Acts 1.8, he says, you're going to be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem, and then what does he say? And in all Judea and in Samaria, which would be the next region, and then you're going to send emissaries to the uttermost parts, and they're going to do the same thing again. So God's vision for multiplication, God's heart, is not for the planting of a church, but for the churching of a region. Would that make sense? And the Great Commission says, you're going to start in a city, but you're going to actually connect into your region. And you're going to get to every village in Judea, and then you're not going to stop with your region. You're going to actually go to the next region, and you're going to reach Samaria. Often, that next region may not be next geographically, but it may be a different people group like the Samaritans were to the Jews. So they actually had to cross culture just a little bit to complete that next stage of the Great Commission. And I believe that that is how we actually complete the Great Commission and get to every creature reality. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Well, how do you do that? You do that by actually acting regionally. Um, and that is, and how does that happen? Again, um, looking back at Jesus' example, you can see several, re, several, example, uh, several stages in his relationship to his disciples. Stage one is when he, when he literally announced the gospel and said, come and see. Remember John's disciples in John chapter one. They were following him. John says, hey, there's Jesus, go follow him. And they come to Jesus and say, hey, where are you spending the night? And Jesus says, come and see. Then one of those men goes to another of his friends and says, hey, we found the Messiah, come and see. So it begins with the reality of Jesus showing up and just seeing. Amen? You know, we can go, do you know that we could take this congregation or a portion of this congregation go to over half the world, walk into a village where people have never had the chance to come and see Jesus. And you would bring into that village more knowledge of Jesus than may have been there for the church age. You say, I, I can't do that. Yes, you can do that. You can bring Jesus and say, come and see. Amen? And that's just the distribution of the, the gospel. Just show up. And the result is there's going to be people prepared who will see. Then you come to follow and fish where Jesus said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. This would be stage two. This is where you take someone who's a believer and say, let me teach you how to walk with God every day and teach you how to tell others what God's done for you. Follow and fish. But then we come to stage three. And stage three is actually one where often we don't uh, we, don't, we don't see. 
and we don't step into. This is where Jesus had thousands in Mark chapter 3. They were coming from Judea and Idumea, and uh, they were coming even from up into Tyre and Sidon, and he had thousands who were gathering, and Jesus stepped away from the thousands and selected how many? Selected 12. And he selected those 12, and he said, come be with me so that I can send you. And what did he send them to do? To preach, to heal, and cast out devils. What was Jesus doing? Preaching, healing, and casting out devils. Were those 12 men going to do anything different than what Jesus would do? Nothing different. In fact, Jesus said to them, greater works than I have done, you're going to do. So Jesus actually said, you 12 are going to do the same thing I'm doing, and so I'm getting in a close relationship with you, so you watch me, and I'm going to send you, and you're going to do the same thing. He was multiplying himself. Um, and that's really what a missionary is supposed to do. A missionary really is not a church planter. He's really what Jesus did. He's a disciple maker, and he's a trainer of church planters. Because who can do the greatest church planting in a region of the world? The people who live there not the mission. The missionary is actually at a disadvantage. If he will put into the hands of the people he wins the work of disciple-making and church planning, it can multiply. Does that make sense? That, that's breakthrough if that makes mean something to you. Because a lot of times we think the missionary is the one who actually is the key figure who actually has the ability to do the Great Commission where he shows up. And he is a key figure, but he actually does not have the greatest ability to do the Great Commission in the region he shows up at. Who actually has the greatest ability to do the Great Commission? The people he wins. The local people. And that leads to stage four, where you entrust into the hands of the people you've won the actual mission, the actual churches. They actually weren't in your hands, they're actually in their hands. And this is, of course, John 15, where Jesus says, I'm going to go away, but I'm going to send a comforter. And the Holy Spirit's going to lead you, and you're going to do greater works. And it's not me, it's not you beside me, it's me inside you, and you're going to do the greater works. And that's actually where multiplication happens. And so that's the vision for that we have. There's an unreached region or a lesser reached region. Our goal is actually not to be the key for this region. We're going alongside of a man named Brother Callistus, who actually is an established man. He's actually trained men. He's been involved in Bible college and church planting in different areas of, uh, of the country. This is actually his home region where he has never ministered in extensively. He has planted a church in that region, but he's caught this vision for regional work. And that's actually why we're going. We're actually going because we believe there's an open door in the nation there's a region that needs church planting, and we're there not to be the key people for this. We're actually here to partner with the key people for this. And that is Brother Callistus and others there. Um, we were, I preached in WeWAC with another man when I was there in April, uh, in March, and I challenged him with his vision. And do you know that about two weeks later, they were on the other side of town planning a church? So they said, wow. We haven't been on mission. We've got stuck on our own church, and we're not planting the next church. We've got to get on this, and they did. They obeyed just like that, and God already had been leading them in that way. God just prompted them further that said, go, get on it. 
This is for you. This is your mission. This is your purpose. And we want to, um, we want to encourage that. Um, so again, uh, just the summary of the summer trip in June uh, would be a one-week trip of, the, uh, of, of a, about a dozen people coming from our Bible college um, doing a youth camp on Mushu Island and then going, you've heard of door-to-door evangelism, we're going to do shore-to-shore evangelism on the Sepik River um, and hopefully establishing uh, work in a couple of villages, um, if not uh, maybe four. We're going to be partnering with locals who are going to be part of every team as well. Um, hopefully more locals than foreigners on those teams. I want to just end our time here uh, with just this view on our world. Um, here we have the population of our world as it was in about AD 50. Now, who lived in AD 50? Who lived in AD 50? The disciples, the apostles of Christ. This would be the generation that Christ said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. So when he said that, what did he mean? Well, he had a population of about 172 million at that time. Um, and um, in fact, um, the Apostle Paul was one of those. The Apostle Paul says in Romans 15 that from Jerusalem to Illyricum, I fully preach the gospel. If you look at Jerusalem, of course, we're thinking about that today. Illyricum is, a, is across the Asia Minor that we, we know it as today, Turkey, across the Macedonian Peninsula, all the way over to here, Illyricum is basically modern-day Albania. In fact, there's a statue of the Apostle Paul in the capital city of Albania, basically saying he came here. So when, when, when Paul said, from Jerusalem to Illyricum, I fully preach the gospel, he meant that that roughly was a population of 25 million. Paul said, I reached... 25 million. I saw that the missionary work was done and churches were expanding and spreading across this region of 25 million and my job is finished. All right, so that's 25 million that Paul himself covered out of how many? That's about one-seventh, we could say one-eighth of the world was reached by Paul according to his own testimony of Scripture. So do you think that this Great Commission was completed in that early generation? Actually, I believe that it was. The Apostle Paul is only one story, and there's another dozen that are scriptural uh, disciples that we know were sent. And uh, so that's, that's in AD uh, 50. Now we come to, um, moving out here, we come to, get this to advance on me. Lost it. Okay, all right, now we're moving out 500 years, and we are at, um, uh, we are at how many people? You see that? 177, and what does that mean to you? Like, not a big change. That 500 years, only moving out, uh, only getting to 177 million. Um, well, listen, um, can you tap the screen? Just tap it for me. Okay, there we go. Now we're at 1,000 years, and we're at 254 million. Um, go ahead again. Um, 1,400 years, we're at 343. This is the bubonic plague, the only time where, where population decreased. Um, 
uh, nothing, COVID was nothing like the bubonic plague that actually knocked down uh, world population. Next one. Um, 1,500, we're at basically a half, uh, a half billion. And look at our side of the world. What's, how many lights are over there? Not too much. I think we actually qualify as the uttermost parts of the earth, uh, for sure. And sometimes, by the way, we think that the Great Commission starts and ends with us. Do you know it actually didn't start with us? Um, but it certainly can continue through us, amen? Um, and that's really the opportunity we have. Go ahead. Um, all right, now we have 1820. 1820, we reach how many? We reach 1 billion. 1820, roughly 200 years ago, we reach 1 billion for the first time. Um, then the next one. Then in 1920, let's call it that, we reach 2 billion. So 100 years later, we double from 1 billion to 2 billion. And now the next slide. Now we reach, this is a little past our time, but we could say for the sake of just mental clarity, 2020, we reach 8 billion. So 1820, 1 billion. 1920, 2 billion. 2020, 8 billion. Um, so stop and think about that. Um, in fact, I was born 1967. Do you know that in the span of my 50 years, I'm 55, and do you know that in the span of my 55-year lifetime, it is, it's actually very likely that 10% of humanity has coexisted with me on earth that if you add up the population from creation to now, 10% of that population of 6,000 years is living with us on earth right now. Just let that sink in. Um, and we have 8 billion souls. So hit it again. Um, when Christ first gave the Great Commission... Hit the slide. Uh, there we go. This is what he meant. Reach 172 million. Has the Great Commission changed? Has he rescinded his command to get the gospel to every creature? Has he quit on the Great Commission? Has the power been declining over these years? Is the Holy Spirit removed? Is not Jesus with us to the end of the age? So if Jesus meant the Great Commission when he first gave it, and he hasn't, hasn't pulled it back, then hit the side one more time, then when he gives it, this is what he has to mean for us today. Eight billion souls. Uh, hit it again. Um, we must be living in the greatest era of world missions ever. Young people, I want you to say you haven't missed out on the opportunity to serve the Lord. You're in the center of it. Do you know, we're living in the greatest day to be on mission for Jesus. We haven't missed it. We're in the center of it. Go ahead and hit that again. 60% um, of the world is reached. 40% of the world lives in unreached regions. And we can still be part of bringing the gospel to them. Hit it again. Um, one more time. Keith Green said this, this generation of Christians is responsible for this generation of souls on earth. Isabel Kuhn, a well-known missionary um, 
hero said, I believe that in every generation God has called enough men and women to evangelize all the yet unreached tribes of the earth. It is not God who does not call, it's man who will not respond. So even as we think of the world in the trouble and turmoil, I want us to be comforted today that God is on the mission. He's in perfect control. He has given us the power, and we have a reason to be here. Amen? and a reason to go. Let's pray. Father, thank you for uh, this assembly. Thank you for folks coming out even an hour early to join us. I pray that they'd be encouraged with what you're doing in our world and the opportunity to serve you. And Lord, I pray that this church would be filled with faith and filled with your spirit. Labors, labors would be called, and we'd be on mission for you in this greatest, greatest day to be serving you. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.